0: Do that with my hands when that music's playing. I don't know why. It's like it's not funny. I know it's not funny at all. It's just this very dramatic thing. It's like I don't know. It just felt like doing that when the lights came up. It just be like this, or I should have go like that. That the cross is over there. <laughs> Welcome to the Port Community Church. Um, I'm Justin. Um, really thankful to be sharing with you this morning. Um, Thankful uh, for CJ's presence here this morning, and and, uh, of course, Wesley Foundation is a a key ministry that we're so proud to be connected with. Um, I've been connected with CJ personally for many years. CJ and I were students here at VSU together and did campus ministry together as students. Played a little intramural basketball together, and uh, CJ can ball. He's got game for sure. And so, I'm uh, thankful for you, brother. Uh, as CJ would say, what a time to be alive, right? Um, very thankful that our church gets to partner with an amazing ministry like the VSU Wesley Foundation. Uh, so, uh, welcome. I want to say special welcome to you. If you are, this is a big day. I, I was telling Chan last night, it's a big day when we've got all these elements going on. And, and it's like, for us that are kind of putting the elements in, in their place, it's a little hectic. But in, and we, we were both agreed, it's good. It's good. Baptism is a sign of, uh, is a sign that God is at work, right? It is the proof that we have a redeeming, loving, gracious God who comes down and, 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 and invades our, our life and our, our being and, and transforms us. And so stepping into the water, Zach, um, is an amazing testimony to what God's doing. And we love you. We're so uh, just to watch you grow just in the last few months is um, is, is staggering is but by the grace of God, right? So you've got a lot of people that love you, and are, and, we're, and of course we've got some others being baptized as well. Um, uh, we're, we're so thankful uh, for you and, and thankful for what God's doing in you. So we're in this series called Exodus, as you could as tell, and, and we're walking through this book, and we're in week six today, and um, so we're in con- continuing in this amazing series. I hope you agree. This has been an amazing series. It's challenged me. It's challenged the way I think about the whole Bible. Uh, Because sometimes, you know, we that grew up in the church, if you grew up in church, um, we like to detach the Old Testament from the New Testament sometimes. What we like to do is we like to say, well, that was then, this is now. It doesn't have much relevance to me, which is not true. It's absolutely not true. The Bible is a whole book, a whole story story from cover to cover and at the very center of it is the person of Jesus. We cannot hope to know this book or the God of this book or the redemption plan of God through Jesus without knowing every part of it. And there are parallels that are not coincidental. Sometimes we read something in the Old Testament and we go, oh, that sounds familiar, like we're gonna see today. But I promise you, there is no coincidence. the uh, portal group and I, the, the college students, we're going through the book of Jonah right now. And, and that is a cross-section of the entire Bible. That, that tiny little book of four chapters, the gospel is all over that book. Would you agree? College students, all over it in young adults. We, not just for college students. We have young adults in portal too. Hey, you're a young adult. You feel like a college student? Come to portal. Monday nights, 830 at my house. If you still feel like a college student, we will not turn you away. I promise you. So Exodus 19 is where we're going to be in today. So I want you to turn there with me. And So see, we, we've been walking through this book. And, and last week, Shannon, we, we were in Exodus 12. And, and Shannon was talking about the first Passover and all that went into that. And, 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 and the blood that covers sin. Right? The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no what? No remission of sin. And that is super, super important. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And so back then, you know, God established it to where they would take a blemishless lamb or goat and lay it on an altar and and kill it, unfortunately. uh, Because something had to die. Because sin is the one thing that God hates, abhors, and he will do whatever it takes to alleviate the problem of sin. And and as much as God desires to kill sin within us and within the world, you should you and I should desire that as well. We should desire to kill sin where it stands every time it pops up in our lives. And that's, a, that's something that's kind of, you know, the imagery is not something that makes us very comfortable, but it certainly makes it no less true. Amen? So Exodus 12, the first Passover, and then believe it or not, if you were expecting a message on the great miraculous crossing of the red sea you're not going to get it we all know the story it was awesome god is a deliverer god took israel out of egypt he brought them to the edge of this vast body of water they were pinned by the water on one side and the mountains on the other and Pharaoh's army crashing in on them and we know the story. God made a way where there seemed to be no way, right? Amazing. So we're gonna fly over that. We know about it. I'm not saying it's not important. But we wanna get to what happened after, which is just as important. It's not as flashy. Well, maybe. You, you be the judge. When we read, when we read what, what is contained in Exodus 19 and 20, maybe, just maybe, you'll be as floored as I've been the last two weeks. Just maybe. Exodus 13 and 14 is where we see God finally delivers his people from Egypt and they cross the Red Sea in miraculous fashion. And now we come to Exodus 19 and the people arrive at the base of Mount Sinai. In, in the wilderness, just east, of Egypt. Now, side note, Sinai is actually further away from Egypt to where they were going, Canaan. Sinai, it's not, it wasn't a straight line. And of course, we know there's a 40-year wandering in there somewhere, right, where they just kind of went in a, in a circle. or I don't know if they did, went, actually went in a circle, but they did like this for 40 years what should have been a few days walk from the border of Egypt to Canaan ended up being 40 years and so Sinai was actually worse than what they just came out of we don't really think of that you know oh they they're delivered from Egypt they are finally free but it got worse isn't that just how it is sometimes when it comes to following Jesus you give your life to Jesus you think things are gonna be better. You think things, everything's just gonna be rosy, and things actually get worse for a time. Or maybe for the rest of your natural life on this, on this earth, because we know that eternity awaits, right? Like, somehow we think that giving our lives to Jesus is just gonna make things easier on us. When I mean, God has an infinitely better plan for you and for me than just to make things easy on you in this life. Look at the Lord Jesus. No harder life was ever lived. And he says, if you follow me, you take up your cross, things are going to get difficult for you at times. For my sake. See, uh, you know, there's this quote, and I'm, you know, I don't, I'm not sure. I I hate to, I hesitate to say I'm not sure how theologically sound it is, but I, I believe it is so. You're going to suffer with or without Jesus. You're going to suffer with or without the presence of God in your life. Way better to suffer with Jesus, in the will of God, understanding that things are getting worse, but God is in control and he is sovereign. Wow. That's something that we just kind of forget. We just think that things are gonna be better just by virtue of the fact that we gave our, we just had this dramatic experience where we gave our hearts to Jesus. And I don't want you to be discouraged this morning because I want you to know that if God takes you further away from the ultimate arrival point, It's okay. It's okay. Because what happens in the further away, in the wilderness, matters in your life. What happens in the wilderness season matters. It, you cannot be who God designed you to be and wants you to be without the wilderness of Sinai. And so we come to this chapter in 19, and Israel has come to the base of this mountain. The conditions are much worse in Egypt. People start complaining, from, probably from day one they blame Moses, they blame God, and they're trying to find every way out. This is deliverance, God? You ever felt like that? You ever said to yourself, this is deliverance? This is what it means to follow Jesus? I just had no clue that I'd suffer so much. I just had no clue. Now, there is joy in great suffering, amen? There is joy for the believer in suffering. And you are not alone. But man, it's tough, is it not? It's tough, It's tough. And I don't have anything in in my human self to tell you anything that would make you feel better in that. Except for God is with you. God is for you. And he'll never leave you. And his plan and his purpose is gonna win out in your life if you commit to his way. All right, so here we are. Exodus 19, the foot of Sinai, and, there, and here is where God meets them. Here's where God meets them. So Moses and the people are here. They're in this remote place. They're exhausted. They're terrified. They have no idea what lies ahead. They'll set up camp at the base of this mountain for almost a year. Almost a year. The presence of God himself descends to seal the covenant relationship with his people. The Lord appears and speaks, and it changes them Forever. It's really kind of the first Pentecost. It is the first time in our Bibles that we see God speaking directly to his people as a whole. Now, God spoke to individuals before this. And and after this, he would speak to individuals, to prophets, when his voice was silent to the rest of the world or to the rest of the known world or to his people. This is the first time we see God's booming voice coming out to where his people could actually hear God's voice. It's pretty astounding. It's the first time that they hear God's voice. I wonder what it must have sounded like. I keep saying it must have sounded like Morgan Freeman. Is that sacrilegious to say that? James Earl Jones, is that better, Star Wars fans, James Earl Jones? I just wonder what the voice of God might sound like. James Earl Jones, man. What better human voice can you come up with than Morgan Freeman or James Earl Jones? I just, I, mean, I know that's stupid. A word about mountains, okay? We, they're, they're, they're camped at the base of this mountain. In the Bible, uh, this, is, this is something you need to know. This is not Bible study class or seminary, but you need to, this is, this is to me, this is foundational. In the Bible, mountains are significant. They aren't just geographical, geological locations. They aren't just a change in altitude. When you see a mountain and something goes on there, it is significant spiritually. There is a significance spiritually to a mountain. When you see a mountain, you pay attention because something's gonna happen. Something awesome's gonna happen on that mountain. Abraham and Isaac on a mountain before the Lord. Abraham wrestling with the the, the thought of sacrificing his own son. Mount Sinai. We're about to look at that. The ark rested, came to rest on a mountain. And of course, our Savior, Jesus Christ, was crucified on a mountain. Not too terribly far from where we are in Exodus 19. Mountains have spiritual significance and anytime we see a mountain, we ought to pay attention. So, uh, is that, is that an is that a intro or what? Like, we haven't even gotten to the scripture yet. I apologize. Exodus 19. Let's read it together. We're going to read uh, kind of section by section here. We're not going to read the whole thing, but we want to get to the good stuff. It says Exactly two months after Israel left Egypt, they arrived in the wilderness of Sinai. After breaking camp at Rephidim, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and set up camp at the base of the mountain. Then Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God. The Lord called to him from the mountain said, Give these instructions to the family of Jacob. announce, Announce it to the descendants of Israel. And this is the part I love. The next three verses are the key. You have seen what I have done to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Let's stop right there. We've seen eagle's wings before in scripture, haven't we? There's several instances in the Bible where it talks about God Carrying us on eagle's wings when we are weary and tired. You know what that means when it says, I have carried you on eagle's wings? It simply means God did everything, I did nothing. I could not do anything to help myself. I was lost beyond repair, beyond saving, and God came in and scooped me up on eagle's wings and got me out of there. And God is here reminding his people of what he's done. He said, I did this, lest you forget, lest you think you parted the waters, lest you think even Moses parted the waters of the Red Sea. This is really key. Lest you think that any human did what only I could do. I want to draw your attention back to where it belongs. He says, I did it. I parted those waters. I did. Harden Pharaoh's heart. I use Moses as a mouthpiece, even though he had a speech impediment. I did that. There is nothing in you that could have delivered you. And if that sounds desperate and joyless and um, uncomfortable for you, it is the gospel. It must be that way. He says, I did it. God did everything. God, God did it all. I did nothing. Verse 5. Now, now, since I've done that, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all peoples of the earth. And for all the earth belongs to me. And you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation, my very own, he says. So here's an order, and it's a gospel order. Here's an order, all right? I want you to see this. Number one, God delivered them. Rescue. Grace happened first, and then obedience follows as a byproduct of grace. Obedience follows as a byproduct of deliverance, and then Finally, great blessing. He says, I delivered you, so now obey me, obey my commands with joy and gratitude, and the blessing is that you'll be a holy nation. The blessing is you'll be set apart. The blessing is you'll be my possession, and I'll take care of you, right? That's the way it goes. Verse seven says, Moses returned from the mountain and called together the elders of the people and told them everything the Lord had commanded them, and, the, and all the people responded together, We will do everything the Lord has commanded. It's a shame that didn't last. just didn't even last past Moses' second trek up the mountain. They went back on that promise and still are going back on that promise even today. He said, we'll do everything. Do you remember the, the moment you met Jesus? And you gave your heart to Jesus, like, do you remember? I hope you remember. If you don't remember that, we need to, we need, like, no, we need to pray. Like, we need to, you need to know. You need to know. You need to, not a date and a time necessarily. I can't tell you the month and the year. I can just tell you where I was. I was in my room. No preacher was by my side telling me to repeat recite a prayer. Nobody was t- telling me how to do this. I just simply opened my Bible and heard God speak to me, and I put my face on the floor of my room. I met, met God met me there. I was about to say I met God there. God met me there. So we will do everything you command So Moses brought the people people's answer back to the Lord. Verse 9. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will come to you in a thick cloud, Moses, so the people themselves can hear me when I speak with you. Then they'll trust you. They, you know, cuz cuz it's it's quite logical. Moses goes up the mountain. There's there's cloud. I mean, obviously that's awesome. But they don't know what God said to them, to him. That For all they know, he could be lying and, you know, delusional and, you know, seeing mirages in the desert. I mean, he, we know, we don't know. And so God says, I will amplify my voice. When I speak to you, they'll all hear it at the base of the mountain. Then they'll trust you. I promise they'll trust you. Right? Imagine hearing God's booming voice coming from a mountain. you I mean, it's got to be a frightening thing or at least a, you know, unnerving. And God says he comes in a cloud. Listen, this is really important too. I know this is, this is kind of, you know, it might be boring to you, but I hope it doesn't end up that way because it's super important. God says he comes in a cloud. Why? To conceal himself for now. Why? Because what happens if you look, look on God in all his glory in the Old Testament? What happens? You die. You die. There's not a maybe I'll survive. You die. We die. Man, when we look on the glory of God, when we look on his glory, if we see God for, in that day and age, if we see God for who he is, with our own frailty and our humanness, we die. It's just because God is so awesome and we're so frail. It's not because God wants to kill us. It's just there's a gap between the holiness of God and the frailty of man. There is a gap, and that's why God settled in on that mountain that day. There was a gap that at that time could not be crossed. Right? Now God can do whatever he wants, but there's a reason he settled in on that mountain. Then it says in verse 10, then the Lord told Moses, go down and prepare the people for my arrival. Consecrate them today, tomorrow, and have them wash their clothing. Be sure that they are ready on the what? The third day. There's another gospel parallel right there. The, the number three is super significant in, in scripture. The three days, the three days, that journey of three days is a. You know, and we talked about this Monday night at Portal. It's a. It's a, It. It, it, uh, it represents a journey. It might represent a trial. It might represent a pre- preparation for something big. And here they are. God lays the number down. Three days. Three days. Get yourself ready. In three days, I'm coming. Verse 12, mark off a boundary, he says, all around the mountain, warn the people, be careful, do not go up the mountain or even touch its boundaries. Anyone who touches the mountain will surely be put to death. the The key passage or the key group of verses that we focus on is four, five, and six, where it says, I carried you on wings of eagles. And now, because I've delivered you, Remember what I've done, first and foremost. And if you, when you remember, you'll, be, you'll obey. When you remember the goodness of the Lord in your life, you'll obey. When you remember how, what God has done for you, the obedience part will come naturally. You won't always get it right. You won't always get it right. You will always be in God's perfect will for you. But you will gladly obey. Rem, do you remember the prayer we prayed last week? If you were here, uh, Shannon prayed this prayer. We prayed it corporately. Free us for what? Joyful what? Obedience. Free us for joyful obedience. I don't know about you. I want to be freed for joyful obedience. Because the only way to obey God and to serve God and follow Jesus is to remember what God has done for me. Then the obedience comes as a byproduct. We don't obey first and then gain God's blessing and his deliverance. That's not the gospel. That's every other world religion. Amen? Amen. That's every other faith in this world. We're different. Our faith is different. Our God is, operates in a different way. Our God is the one true God. And he says, look, you're not always going to get, you can't do anything good for yourself, so I'm going to do it all. I'm going to carry you on eagle's wings. I'm going to deliver you from Egypt. And because of the great gratitude of your heart, the brokenness of spirit, you obey gladly. And if you do that, the blessing will come. Not financial blessing or just you know some, something the world can give the blessing is eternity with Christ the real blessing is that what happened at the cross amen Man. and the story continues on through 19 and through 20 we, we turn over to 20 and we see God of course give the commandments the 10, the ten commandments we're not going to read those together you know, most of you should know them by heart by now you know, if you don't kind of brush up on that. And and here's the thing. He gave the commandments, the whole laws law of Moses to the people. And we see God displaying his awesomeness here. His greatness, his power. And we see the people's reaction. Exodus 20, 18 says, when the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the ram's horn, when they saw the flashes of lightning and the smoke billowing from the mountain, they stood at a distance trembling with fear. And they said to Moses, speak to us, we will listen, but don't let God speak directly to us or we will die. Don't be afraid, Moses said, for God has come in this way to test you so that your fear of him will keep you from sin as the people stood at a distance moses approached the dark cloud cloud where god was he god comes down god comes down god comes down in smoke and fire and cloud and it was an incredibly scary scene and the bible says that the people of israel trembled in fear if you were there you'd probably tremble in fear too even knowing what you know about God and his redemptive plan, where they had no clue what was going to go on, they had no clue how God was going to act in the centuries after, you would tremble as well, would you not? I certainly would. I'm under no illusion that I would not be where they are. The Bible says that he trembled in fear. And although the initial natural reaction of anyone who was there would have seen that, would have surely been extreme fear. God wanted to put his glory on display to inspire more than just a healthy dose of fear. You know what he wanted? He wanted awe and wonder. God wanted awe and wonder. He didn't just want his people to fear him. He wanted awe and wonder. See, God's ultimate purpose in coming down and settling on that peak the Sinai was not just to inspire fear, but also to inspire a sense of awe and wonder. Tim Keller says God is a terrifying and beckoning God. He is a beckoning God. I love that. So the best thing you can do this morning, the best thing you and I can do this morning is to go up that mountain. Go up the mountain. The very best thing you can do today, tomorrow when you're not in corporate worship together, uh, Wednesday afternoon when things are real tough at your job, uh, Friday night when you're celebrating your football team's win or loss or whatever, morning or loss, whatever whatever that is, the best thing you can do is climb the mountain, is to go up that mountain, because God has called you to himself. The best thing you can do is to go up that mountain. The most important thing we can ever do is spend time with God, spend time in his presence, enjoy his presence, because in his presence now, because of what Christ has done, is not one of fear and uh, 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 Wondering if God is gonna strike you down. It is one of awe and wonder and reverence. And, and I believe, folks, that we have lost a sense of reverence in our churches. Reverence for the name of Jesus. Reverence for God's holiness. Reverence for the fact that we're in God's presence. It just doesn't strike us like it ought to, amen? It ought to, it ought to put me on my face. I'm too, I'm too desensitized. I've grown up in church my whole life. I know what an order of worship looks like. And it just boggles my mind how we have lost the sense of God, awe and wonder that we ought to have for the Lord. Right? This is where true worship's going to happen too, by the way. Right? Us, you know, everyone on this stage wants, wants one thing. And I hope you do too. We want to enjoy the presence of God together. But God needs to restore in me a sense of awe and wonder. In, in Hebrews 12, it, con- it, it, it mentioned Sinai, but it contrasted with another mountain named Zion. And Zion has extreme spiritual significance. It is a physical place in Israel. It's right outside the city walls, of, and it was, it's where the, the Temple Mountain, the, the, the outer wall of Jerusalem stands today. It's a physical place, but it's also a spiritual place because it's going to be the site of the new Jerusalem one day. It's gonna be the site. Hey. James Earl Jones. Hey, that's loud. Hey, all right. It's gonna be the site of where heaven and earth come together one day, the new Zion. And so the writer of Hebrews contrasts these two and he says, look, it's, you, the Israelites came to Zion and they were afraid and they were fearful and they were trembling in their boots. They wore boots, they probably didn't wear boots. But now you come to Zion. You come to the holy mountain of God where God meets you not with fear and trembling, but God meets you and 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 produces a sense of joy and worship and honor and reverence. That's the difference. What Jesus did is he took Sinai and cre- and made Zion out of it. He took the 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 awe, the, the, the crazy fear of standing, sitting at the base of Sinai and created a way for Zion. The mountain. And God calls you up the mountain. And this mountain doesn't have smoke or fire or or any lightning flashing out of it. It's just where God resides. And God calls you up this morning. Isn't that amazing? God calls you up. The best thing you can do is to approach the mountain of God. Because God, here's the promise, God will meet you there. God will meet you there. Approach him with holy awe and reverence today. When was the last time you had a mountain experience like that with the Lord? When was the last time you had the opportunity and you blew or you blew it? I say you blew it. Yeah, we blew it. You didn't take advantage of it. Well, God beckons and calls every single day, every moment of every day. He pursues you. And he calls you up the mountain. He calls you up the mountain. My prayer is that you would do that today as the band comes back up. I want you to pray with me. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time together. We thank you, Jesus, first and foremost, for your sacrifice. And as we sang earlier, this was all because you loved us. Every bit of what you have done, your redemption plan, is because of your great love. It has nothing to do with what we have done or could ever do. And so we come asking you to do again what you could only do, carry us on the wings of eagles. Bring us from the, draw us from the place that we're at, from maybe a place of apathy, maybe a place of doubt, draw us out of that wilderness and into your perfect will, into your presence, Lord Jesus. We want to behold you. So thankful for that scripture that says we we see now in part, but one day we will see fully your amazing glory. We want to behold that. And we want, we're asking for you to give us a picture of that right here and now in this time. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Come on, let's stand and worship.